Today we're going to start a new series where for the next number of weeks we're going to work our way through the book of First Peter. And we try to kind of change up what we do with our series at different times. So sometimes we do uh, series that are more thematic. Uh, and so earlier in the year uh, we did a series called Interrupted, for example, where we talked about some of the key characters in the Bible and how they dealt with interruptions and how we can learn from that. Uh, we did a series called Beyond, where we talked about things that are happening beyond the walls of our church and what's happening kind Kind of locally, nationally, and globally. Um, and last year, we did a series called Foundations, where we talked through some of the simple um, foundational principles for us to use, things like Bible reading and how to pray, uh, how to journal, some of those sorts of things. So we try to do thematic series sometimes, but at other times, we want to just work through a book of the Bible and be able to just take it verse by verse. And so uh, last year, we did the book of Colossians. This year, we're going to spend some time in the book of First Peter. And then sometimes we have these series that are kind of a mixture of both. So the series that we just did uh, in term three called Epic, where we walk through God's big story, was in some ways us working through scripture in a linear fashion. Uh, It wasn't just all from the same book. And earlier this year, we did The Road to the Cross leading up to Easter, where we looked at a number of snapshots from Jesus' life, uh, just not necessarily exactly in the order that they are uh, in a book of the Bible. So we try to change it up. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to work through the book of First Peter. So inside of Caring connection you have your teaching notes as always and so I encourage you to jot things down as we go through the message uh, that can help you as you then head into the week. So a little bit of background on first Peter. Um, the guy who wrote this shockingly is Peter. So, And uh, Ross did a great job with the kids of walking through a bunch of snapshots from Peter's life. So that's the Peter that wrote this letter and another one that we've got in the Bible as well. And so this letter was written in about AD 64. And so that's important because of the context of what was going on at the time. So the Emperor Nero was in power as the Roman Emperor at that time. And Nero was not a very good guy at all. He did a lot of things that weren't terribly amazing. Uh, and in particular, he was responsible for a lot of persecution against both uh, Christians and also Jewish people when he was around. And so when this letter's being written, it's kind of as that persecution is starting to ramp up. And over the next few years, it actually gets significantly worse. Nero dies in uh, AD 68, and then the temple is destroyed by the guy who takes over from him in AD 70, which is this really significant moment, again, for Jewish people, but also for the early church as this place that was seen as their spiritual home was just completely destroyed by the Romans. And so we're going to see that Peter talks a lot about suffering and persecution. That's the context in which he's talking about that. We know that Peter died in AD 67, and so that's why we kind of go back a few years and recognise that's probably when this was written. So where was Peter when he wrote this? Well, uh, right at the end of his letter, he says in chapter 5, verse 13, your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. And so most people agree that this is a reference to Rome. The early church talked about Rome as the new Babylon, and so there's an understanding that that's where he was writing from. Um, But it was also kind of where we understand that Peter was at around AD 64 anyway. So who was it written to? Well, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, as he starts things out, he says it's to God's chosen people 
who live as refugees scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so we've got a map of where that is exactly. So that area that's circled, which is actually called Asia Minor. And uh, if you're really good at geography, you would know that that is modern day Turkey which is really interesting given some of the things that are going on right now. Uh, So Peter is saying that he's writing to the people who are following Jesus who've all made their way from Jerusalem, that's down the bottom there. They've left Jerusalem uh, because of the persecution that was happening there and they've made their way up and into this big region and they've all spread out. And so Peter's writing this letter to a whole bunch of different churches uh, that are all in different places, a bunch of people who are gathering together scattered throughout this big region. So the key themes that we're going to look at over the next few weeks that Peter addresses are really hope and suffering. You're going to see that over and over again, we keep coming back to hope and suffering. Hope based on what Jesus has done, hope about what it looks like to keep hope in the midst of difficult times, and then hope for the future. That's going to be something that we'll spend a bit of time talking about today. But the other key theme that comes throughout this letter very strongly is the theme of suffering. And Peter's writing to a group of people who are experiencing significant suffering and persecution. And so he's writing into their circumstances, um, but also knows that this is probably going to get worse before it gets any better. And so he's trying to strengthen them and encourage them as he knows what's coming. But throughout, what he keeps coming back to is that Jesus understands that Jesus himself went through significant amounts of suffering. And so as they go through these things, they're not alone. Jesus is with them. And there's an element of understanding more about Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus that comes through the difficult experiences that we have. So hope and suffering, they're the two themes that we'll be unpacking a lot. And one of the ways in which Peter talks about that, that we'll also come back to, is the idea of being strangers in the world. This recognition that our allegiance actually lies somewhere else. And so we shouldn't be shocked that if we've chosen to follow Jesus, that the culture in which we find ourselves doesn't necessarily match with Jesus' values. And so some of the tension that we experience, some of the suffering that we experience is because of that reality. And Peter does a good job to kind of challenge some of the things that we take for granted around that. So that's where we're heading. So how can you get the most out of this series? I'm really glad that you asked. Heading into uh, this, this is one of these passages that is going to be really good, uh, one of these books, sorry, that's good for us to just take a chunk at a time. And so my encouragement to you is not just to look at what we do here on a Sunday and then kind of maybe think about it, but to make an intentional decision to say throughout the week, I'm going to read through the passage that we look at at least once, if not twice. So maybe Monday, Tuesday, and then Wednesday, have another read of it. Just come back to it. Again, if you've got your notes, that'll help you to remember what we've talked about. But just take some time to be able to reflect and say, is there anything new that's jumping out as I continue to think about this? Uh, The scripture reference is printed on the front of Karen Connection, so you don't have to try and remember. You'll have it right there in front of you. But the other thing you might like to do is to cheat and read ahead, and that's okay. So on the back of Caring Connection, you've got next week's Bible reading. And so if you want to, as we get towards the end of the week, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, take some time to have a look at that and just see what is it that God says to you before we even unpack it, and then it might be some questions that it raises that we can talk through as we head into that. So that's the first thing, is to take some time to make sure that you read the passages that we're looking at that will help. 
The other thing is that as you're reading it, reflect on these questions. And uh, a number of you, when we had our anniversary service a few weeks ago, one of the key things that you talked about as we said, what's one thing you'd like to say is true of you this time next year? One of the things that many of you said was that you'd like to read your Bible more. And sometimes we can be a little bit paralysed with that to say, I don't even know where to start or what I should read or how to read it. This is a great opportunity because what to read is given to you. You've got the passages that we're looking at each week. And this honestly is all that I do whenever I get sit down to read the Bible each day, is to ask these questions. What stands out? So as I open up the passage, are there any words? Are there any phrases? Are there any thoughts or ideas that jump out at me? It's like, huh, I'd never thought about that before. That's really interesting. That's really intriguing. Secondly, what can I learn? So what can I learn about God? What can I learn about Jesus? What can I learn about myself? What can I learn about the way that I live? What's something that I can learn from this passage that I'm reading? That then will hopefully lead into the next question, what can I take away? So is there one thing that as I look at what I've read, there's one thing that I've learnt or that I've thought about, it's like, huh, today I want to keep thinking about that or I want to put that into practice or I want to talk about that with someone else, which is the next question. Is there someone that I can share this with? But rather than trying to feel overwhelmed about putting it all into practice, I'm a pretty simple guy, and just say, what's one thing that I can take from this that I can keep reflecting on throughout my day? And then, as I said, with that last question, it is something that is a good challenge for us to actually stop before we finish and say, God, is there anyone that you want me to share this with? So based on what I've learnt, based on what I've been thinking about, is there a friend, a neighbour, someone at work or school or uni, someone in my family that I know is going through something or questioning something that what I've looked at today might be actually really helpful for them? And so can I pray for the courage to be able to say, hey, I was just reading this and I know you were thinking about that. Is this something that's helpful for you? Or this week in our service at church, we were talking about this theme and I wondered whether that's something that might be helpful for you. So is there someone that you can share with? So I'd encourage you to read the passage and dig into those questions and have a bit of a think. Then the last piece is to talk about it with someone else. And so we have our Tuesday afternoon small group from 1 till 2.30 that's in here. If you want to come and join us, that's what we do, is that we work our way through the passage that we look at, spend some time unpacking that. But we know that doesn't suit a lot of you. And so I encourage you just to find two or three other people and get together and say, what are you learning? What are you processing? What are the takeaways that you're taking from what we've been processing together? This is really important because the reality is, and this is a very humbling statement, that if you just sit and listen to what I say this morning, research would tell us that you'll probably remember 5% of it at best. So 95% of the work that I've done this week will be completely wasted if you just sit and listen this morning and then go home. So that's really, really encouraging for me. However, Research also tells us that if you then write some notes down, then you will remember a significant amount more, up to 25%. If you take some time to reread over those notes, then that will probably go up to about 50%. And if you take the time to talk about this with someone else, then your attention rate goes through the roof. So if you want to get the most out of this series, if you want to get the most out of my work and my preparation, then I'd encourage you to take some of these things away and to put them into practice as we head into this series and just see whether it makes a difference. So 
Let's jump in. We've already had a bit of a look at the start, context of where this all comes from. Uh, But Peter kind of wraps up his introductory comments in verse 2 by saying, You were chosen according to the purpose of God the Father and were made a holy people by his Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be purified by his blood. So may grace and peace be yours in full measure. And so Peter starts out by saying to all of these people who are scattered all over this big region, remember that you are chosen. And this is really significant, and we will come back to it. Ross touched on it earlier. Peter was pretty convinced that in order for people to follow Jesus, they had to adopt the Jewish religion first, and then they could become Christians. That was all kind of a bundled package. But Peter was very, very challenged, and to his credit, worked through that to understand that actually Jesus radically comes to say no. Everyone is invited. Everyone's been chosen to be a part of this. And most of the people that Peter is writing to are probably people who are Gentiles, non-Jewish people, uh, which is really amazing given the journey that he's been on. And so he says, you all were chosen. You are chosen people which is what the Israelites used to be called. So he's opening that up and reminding them about that. This was God's plan all along for these people to be chosen to be holy, to be set apart for God's purposes, to be people who choose to obey Jesus and what he's got for them, and to be purified, to be made blameless and completely whole in God's sight. So now we'll jump into the passage that we're going to unpack in detail today. So verse 3. Peter writes, let us give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his good mercy, he gave us new life by raising Jesus Christ from death. And this fills us with a living hope. So Peter says to all these people scattered through this big region who he says are chosen, let's give thanks to God. Let's stop and remember all that God has done for us. And what does he particularly highlight? He talks about God's great mercy. And mercy is this word that we often use in church that can kind of be a bit complicated. But at the end of the day, mercy is simply this. Me putting myself into someone else's shoes and saying, if I was them, how would I want to be treated? That's what I'm going to do for them. And so that's something that we often talk about. How do we think about where someone else is coming from, what's happening for them? But what's radical as we think about this is God's mercy, which means God choosing to put himself into our shoes, which he did in the person of Jesus, to be able to say, if I was them, if I was human, what would I want them to do? Well, that's what I am going to do. As God, I'm going to do what I would want if I was one of them. That's what mercy looks like. And so Peter says, let's give thanks because of this amazing mercy that God has got. And what specifically does he do? Well, he gives us new life. Other translations talk about new birth. And this is really, really important because sometimes we can think choosing to follow Jesus is the end of the journey. That we kind of are on our spiritual quest, we're exploring different things, and then we decide, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's kind of it. That's the end of my journey, and then I kind of am waiting just until the end of my life. That's not at all what the Bible teaches us. The Bible says that when we embrace Jesus' way of life, that's actually us embracing new life new birth. And when a baby is born, that's the start of their life, not the end. That's the beginning. They have this expectation that they're going to grow, they're going to change, they're going to develop. And in our walk with Jesus, that's the same. When we choose to accept Jesus, we're saying, now I'm starting fresh. I'm starting new. I've got a clean slate. So let me now embrace everything that God's got for me 
recognising that that is the journey of the rest of my life. So Peter says we should be thankful because God's mercy gives us that, but also gives us this living hope. And it's interesting, this phrasing, living hope, that it's not just an idle hope or a dead hope, but it's this dynamic, vital, alive, amazing hope that we're given. And that's the key theme that we're going to unpack as we make our way through the rest of today's message. And Peter's first encouragement to us is that this living hope is something that leads to life. The fact that it's alive means that it does something for us. It helps us to move forward. Hope is more than just wishful thinking. Sometimes we can say, oh, well, I hope that that works out or I hope that this happens. But it's just kind of more like I wish that that was the case. The hope that we have is something far more significant. It's something that goes deep and it's something that is concrete because we believe that it comes from Jesus, who was a historical figure, who we do believe died and rose again. Our hope is based on what Jesus has done, not just this idle, well, I hope that it all works out okay. We've got something to be able to look back on. But that hope also allows us to look forward. It leads to new life, a journey, a pathway that unfolds in front of us. And so as Peter continues, he talks about what we can look forward to with this hope. In verse 4, he says, We look forward to possessing the rich blessings that God keeps for his people. He keeps them for you in heaven where they cannot decay or spoil or fade away. They're for you who through faith are kept safe by God's power for the salvation which is ready to be revealed at the end of time. So Peter reminds us that this hope gives us something to be able to look forward to. We look forward to, re, uh, to receiving, possessing the rich blessings that God has for us. Other translations really zoom in on this word inheritance to talk about the inheritance that we have from God. And this inheritance is us receiving everything that God's always wanted for us, the way that God designed our lives to be experiencing love in all of its fullness, joy in all of its fullness, peace in all of its fullness. All the things where we say, yes, that's how life's supposed to be, that's what our inheritance is. That's what's waiting for us. And Peter reminds us that that inheritance, those rich blessings, are kept safe in heaven for us. And he specifically says they can't decay, so they're not like something like metal that can rust or get corrupted or perish in no way can it fall apart. It cannot decay in any way. It can't spoil. So it's not like something natural like food or a plant that could get polluted or could go rotten. That doesn't happen with our inheritance. And he also says it can't fade away. And a helpful contrast is to think about even a beautiful piece of art that someone painted years and years and years ago, even if it's hung in a museum with all the right conditions, it's still over time, the colours will start to fade and it won't be as vivid as it was. That's the contrast that Peter's using here, is to say our inheritance will not in any way fade. It will stay as vivid and alive as it's ever been. So this inheritance is waiting for us, completely secure in heaven where God is, kept safe by God's power, shielded by God's power. Nothing can touch it, nothing can change it. That's what's waiting for us. That's what we've got to look forward to. The message translation of these verses, I think, helps to bring it alive even more. It says, What a God we have, and how fortunate we are to have him, this Father of our Master Jesus, 
Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now, which is where I got the title for this series. The future starts now. It's not just something we have to wait for. It's something that begins now. The day is coming when you'll have it all, life healed and whole, which is a beautiful picture of what that inheritance is. Life healed and whole, fully the way that it's supposed to be. So what do we do with all of this, this inheritance that we've been given, this sense of hope that we've got? Well, Peter, interestingly, kind of switches it around. In verse 6, he says, Be glad about this, even though it may now be necessary for you to be sad for a while because of the many kinds of trials you suffer. Their purpose is to prove that your faith is genuine. Even gold, which can be destroyed, is tested by fire, and so your faith, which is much more precious than gold, must also be tested so that it may endure. Then you'll receive praise and glory and honour on the day when Jesus is revealed. And so this is this paradox and this mystery that we've been talking about a little bit lately. This reality that we know what we're looking forward to, this reality that we know is coming, this design that God had for our lives, this thing that we believe Jesus has given to us as a gift, and yet the reality of what our everyday lives are, where we don't experience that where we do experience brokenness, where we do experience suffering, where we do experience difficult things. And this is something that, as I said, we'll keep coming back to because this is a key theme that Peter unfolds throughout his letter. How do we deal with and face the suffering that we experience in our lives in the here and now? And how does this hope that we've got, based on what Jesus has done for us, shape our experience in the here and now? And Peter reminds us that hope is the thing that can keep us going. Even when things are really, really hard, hope is the thing that we hold on to. And it's good to remember that as we talk about suffering and persecution and dealing with hard times, Peter's kind of got a little bit of experience in this area. So we think about the experiences of Peter's life, him choosing to walk away from Jesus, to turn his back on Jesus, the suffering and pain that that must have caused him. The suffering that he went through as Jesus then restored him. Yes, forgiving him, but challenging him and saying, Peter, do you love me? And asking him that three times. And you feel the pain in Peter's response where he says, of course, you know that I do. This suffering that he's going through in that. Peter's suffering as he stands up in front of thousands of people. Remember, Peter's this fisherman. He's not educated. He's not qualified. He stands up in front of thousands and thousands of people and boldly talks about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That would have been super challenging for him. We know that Peter then heals people, going through all of the challenges about, well, what if this doesn't work? What if they don't get healed? But then all of a sudden, as all of this stuff starts to explode around him, Peter gets dragged before the religious leaders, reamed out for what he's doing and for what he's saying, told to just pipe down, that's enough out of you. Thrown in jail multiple times, beaten in fear for his life. So when Peter talks about suffering, he knows what he's talking about. He's been through a lot. And so it's interesting that his first advice about what we do when we experience suffering is to say, it may be necessary for you to be sad for a while. Peter doesn't start by saying, you should just pretend everything's fine, or just get over it, or just think about this. He starts by saying, it may be necessary for you to be sad 
for a while. Other translations say it may be necessary for you to grieve for a while. And this is a really great reminder for us that it's okay for us to say when we're not okay. It's okay for us to say when we're not okay. Sometimes we have this mindset that we have to pretend we've got it all together, that everything's great, everything's fine when it's really not. Peter says, don't do that. Sometimes you need to embrace the reality of how you're feeling, what it is that you're going through. And grief is something that is supposed to be helpful for us. Grief is not us suppressing things, hiding things, pretending that nothing's going on when it really is. Grief is us actually leaning into the emotion of how we're feeling, naming how we're feeling, embracing how we're feeling. Healthy grief allows us to enter into that so that, yes, we can come out the other side of it, but we have to enter into it in order to process it through in a healthy way. We know that not dealing with it makes everything worse. And so Peter's very wise here in saying, it may be necessary for you to be sad for a while. It's okay to name that when we're going through difficult times. But then he does turn to the question that we often wrestle with. Why is it that God allows suffering? And we will keep coming back to this. But as we begin to unpack that, it's important to name some things that are important principles for us. First of all, that God is not ever the cause of suffering and pain. It's a very important thing for us to recognise. God doesn't cause our suffering and our pain. God allows us to experience suffering and pain, but the vast majority of suffering and brokenness and pain that we go through is normally because of our choices or because of the choices that other people make. Other people causing brokenness and suffering for us or us making choices that cause suffering and brokenness for other people or for ourselves. None of that is because God's causing that to happen. But God does allow us to go through those difficult times. Romans 8.28 says, We know in all things God works for good with those who love him. This is a reminder that God is always at work for good, that God is love. God's not just loving. The centre of who God is is love. And so love cannot cause pain to someone else. That's just not possible. So God doesn't cause our suffering, but he does allow us to go through it. And so why does God allow this? Well, this is what Peter talks about. He says, we go through suffering so that our faith can be proved genuine. This is where we have to be careful because our English language can be a little bit lazy at times. And so when we hear words like proved or tested, we can kind of have this picture of God almost with like a notebook saying, okay, I'm going to see whether their faith can be proved to be tested. So I'm going to allow them to go through this difficult time. I'm going to just see how they respond, see whether they measure up, see whether they're good enough, see whether their faith is strong enough. We can kind of project that onto these words proved and tested. But Peter immediately likens this to the process that gold goes through in order for it to be purified. And that's one of the ways that we talk about what metal, when it goes through that process, is, is that it's proved that all of the impurities are taken away. That as it goes through the fire or through the chemical process of being refined, all of the junk is taken away. And what you're left with is this pure version of gold or silver or whatever the metal is. Peter uses that as the image for us to understand what happens when we go through difficult times. It's like all of the junk in our lives is being taken away 
so that we have this greater, purer sense of faith and trust in Jesus. And we know that that's true, that when we go through difficult times, we do grow. We do get stronger. Our faith goes deeper. We rely on God in more significant ways. And for most of us, when everything's going nice and smoothly, we press the cruise control button and we just coast. We don't grow, we don't develop, we don't learn anything when everything's really, really great. We just kind of cruise along. When we go through those difficult times, if you think back over your life, those are the times when you know that you've probably grown the most, that you've probably learnt the most, that you've probably thrown yourself on God the most in those difficult times. So Peter reminds us that God allows us to go through these difficult times, not because he wants to punish us or check up on us, but simply to be able to say, I want you to experience everything I've got. I want you to grow and develop. Peter then continues in verse 8, and he says, You love Jesus, although you haven't seen him, and you believe in him, although you do not now see him. So you rejoice with a great and glorious joy, with word, which words cannot express, because you are receiving the salvation of your souls, which is the purpose of your faith in him. And so Peter says that for these people who have left Jerusalem, most of them had never actually seen Jesus or met Jesus. And certainly that's true for all of us, that we haven't seen or met Jesus. And yet we love him and we believe him. And that's the essence of what faith and trust is all about, believing in something that we haven't actually seen, trusting in something that we don't have 100% proof of, but we believe is real. And Peter says that this hope is something that should lead to joy. He says it should lead to this great and glorious joy, which words cannot express. And I'm challenged when I read that to think about whether that's true of me. As I think about all that God has done, do I have a great and glorious joy with words which words cannot even express because of what Jesus has done? Or am I just a bit, yeah, 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 I know all that. I've heard all that. Yep, I know Jesus did all those things. That's really great. Ho-hum, move on, cruise control. Do I allow myself to actually pause long enough to be struck again by the reality that the God who created the universe chose to come in the person of Jesus to show us what he's like, to show us what his love looks like, to do everything necessary for us to have a full, complete relationship with him, to be able to experience life the way that it was always designed to be, to give us this inheritance that is guaranteed, to actually stop long enough to recognise that that's what God has done. And do I allow that to turn into joy? It's part of the reason why when we get together on a Sunday, we sing some songs. Because there's an element where the music helps us to kind of allow ourselves to go there, but the words that we sing, these poems that have been written, put things into words for us to help us to be able to say, oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's what I believe. That's who I am. Think about the songs that we've sung this morning. That's the idea is that it allows us to experience this great and overflowing, amazing joy because we're reminded again about what Jesus has done for us. And this is joy that can shine even in the most difficult of circumstances. It's not happiness, which comes and goes as an emotion, it's a deep sense of joy that regardless of what's going on, all of that is still true. 
And so the last few verses of this passage, which we're not going to look at now, you can have a look at for yourself during the week, verses 10 to 12, then have Peter talking a little bit about some of the people in the Old Testament, the prophets and the people of God, the people who were expecting that at some point this was going to happen. And it's this beautiful reminder of what we talked about in our epic series about this sense of expectation, that we're so privileged to be on the other side of that. There are generations of people who looked forward in hope to this day when Jesus would come. And so Peter reminds us about that. And then he finishes that up in verse 12, where he says that they spoke about those things, which you've now heard from the messengers who announced the good news by the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. These are things which even the angels would like to understand. And again, as we think about this idea of what's been given to us, the hope that we have, Peter reminds us, these are things that the angels would love to even understand. The actual translation of it is the angels stooping down and peering intently, having a real good solid look at all of these things that have been revealed to us. These things that echo throughout eternity. This hope is not something that's just temporary in the here and now. It's something that echoes, that even the angels would, be, would love to be able to explore. So as we wrap up today's message... Got a question for us to reflect on as we head into this week. And it's simply this. Am I hopeful? Am I full of hope? And we can explore that in a few different ways. Am I filled with hope for the future because of this inheritance that God has set aside for me? Have I got a sense of hope that fills me because it's not based on anything other than what Jesus has done? It's guaranteed, it's set aside, it's finished, it's complete. It's been given to me and it's waiting for me. Does that fill me with a sense of hope? What is waiting for me in the future? Am I filled with hope even in the most difficult of circumstances? In the midst of whatever I'm struggling with today, is there a sense of me being able to be filled a little bit more with hope? And part of what we should recognise is that Peter is writing these words to a bunch of people who are going through suffering and persecution that we cannot even possibly imagine. And we know that we're brothers and sisters around the world today who are experiencing suffering and persecution because they follow Jesus. That is so much more than any of us are ever going to have to deal with. So it's good for us to just stop and put our suffering into perspective with other people around the world but we don't in any way want to minimise what we're going through. And so as I think about what I'm struggling with today, perhaps that's to do with health or sickness, that I'm struggling with something physically, is there a sense of hope that I can breathe into that? As I'm struggling with loneliness or isolation or relational issues, is there a sense of hope that God can bring into those situations? If I'm struggling financially, struggling to be able to make ends meet, is there a sense of hope that God can breathe into it? If I'm wrestling with purpose and meaning, what's life all about? What's the point? Why am I even here? Can I allow God to breathe hope into that? Maybe I'm just struggling to find any time and space to just be. I feel like my life is out of control. Can I allow God to breathe some hope into that? This hope allows us to see beyond just the circumstances that we're in to recognise that this is temporary, that this will end this season that I'm in at some point. So can I take hope and allow myself to be filled with that? 
Am I filled with a hope that leads to joy? Am I taking enough time to actually stop and recognise what God's done for me? Recognise what Jesus has given to me? And can I allow that to transform into a sense of joy? Am I filled with the hope that is an eternal hope, that even the angels in heaven would love to be able to understand in greater ways, that again lifts me out of my circumstances, what I'm experiencing right now? What is it that as you walk away from today, you need a greater sense of being filled with hope about? What is the hope that you're craving? God is here to give us that sense of hope as we head into another week with all of the things that we're going through to remind us of who he is, of what he's done, of what he's got for us and who we can be in the midst of that. So I'm going to pray that as we head into this week, we can have a greater understanding of that and be people who are filled with hope. Let's pray. God, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are the God who created the universe, and yet you're the God who loves each one of us individually, that you know for every single one of us exactly what's going on for us today as we sit here this morning. You know intimately the things that we're processing, the things that we're feeling. But we thank you that you are the God who offers living hope, not an idle hope, not wishful thinking, but concrete hope that is based on what, Jesus, you have done for us. We're so grateful for your life, your teaching, your death, your resurrection that enables us to have a sense of concrete hope in who you are, in what you've done for us, in the reality that you're here with us and what you have for us in the future. And so I pray that for each one of us, regardless of where we're at in our journey, that as we head into another week, you would give us a greater sense of hope, that you would fill us with your hope. Fill us with a sense that there is more to life than what we're experiencing. Whether we're struggling or whether things are going pretty well, there is more for us. I pray that you would fill us with that sense of hope and expectation and as, that as we continue to work our way through this amazing letter in the weeks ahead, that you would continue to challenge us and inspire us about what it means to follow you. In your name we pray. Amen.